The Christian life is a bit like running a marathon. Two thousand years have passed, and we're still waiting for Jesus to return. We don't know if he will return in our lifetime. I think there is a very good chance that he will return in our lifetime because one thing that really has to happen before Jesus returns is apostasy has to come into the churches. And we are seeing that rampantly happening today as they depart from various portions of Scripture and set up their own doctrine. So the stage is set for Jesus to return. Another thing that happens toward the end, another sign of the approaching return of Jesus, the wickedness increases. I believe the wickedness in the world as well as the wickedness inside the churches increases. As spring approaches, what do you see happening that tells you spring is coming? The thing we see are the leaves begin to bud. All of a sudden, there'll be little buds on the trees, and we'll say, oh, looky there, spring is coming. I hope it doesn't get frozen back with a late freeze. But we know that we're at the end of winter when we see those buds coming on the trees. Exactly the same thing is true concerning the return of Jesus. As the wickedness increases, the wrath of God is on the doorstep. For the wrath of God comes because of the wickedness. It's just like it's just exactly like uh, the days of Noah or the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness increased to the point that God dealt with it. The same thing is going to happen at the end of this period of time, at the end of this earth. It will not work for us to begin the race and drop out along the way. Those who endure to the end of their lives on this earth are the ones who will be saved. You can start the race, and starting the race is a little bit like the honeymoon. You start the marriage, and oh, you're so excited. What happens on about the 15th or 20th year? Don't you have to work at that marriage to continue it? You definitely have to work at the Christian life to continue it and to endure. And you won't know if you endure until your life is over. You can kind of know you're still enduring 
But what about next year and the following year and the following year as the problems increase? He that endures to the end will be saved. So today we talk about enduring. Running the race and enduring. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but only one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corrupt crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Apostle Paul knew he could be a castaway. So he made provision, knowing that. I keep my body under control and bring it into subjection to the Word of God. I let the Word of God rule over my own flesh. I don't let my flesh rule my life. My flesh wants to do one thing. The Bible tells me to do another thing. I choose the Bible. That's what Paul's saying. Otherwise, I might be a castaway. Some people are turned over by God to a reprobate mind because they don't want to keep in their mind things of God. Instead, they want exciting things like the world. If they had read the Old Testament, they wouldn't be able to find the world. You won't find anything on television more exciting than the Old Testament examples. But they forget that. And they're going to be turned over to a reprobate mind along the way. And the reason being that they didn't keep God in their thinking. But they let other things come in and take over. Mark chapter 4 tells us the same thing. Start at verse 14. For this is the interpretation Jesus gives for the parable of the sower. The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Verse 16, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Stony ground is sort of letting your heart get hard. 
I think you can easily let your heart get hard by watching too much television, by too many worldly activities. Jesus says, Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. They turn aside then. I have an astounding story that parallels this scripture. A young minister in the Philippines contacted me. He saw my blog and he contacted me and wanted me to come to the Philippines to speak to the ministers over there and to speak to their church group. I told him that I at that time was 80 years old and I didn't travel anymore. I'm 82 now. So he took the message that I had written concerning calling yourself reverend and calling men reverend for I had written it on our blog that you should not that this is a terrible thing to do that no minister in the Bible called himself reverend. The Bible says holy and reverend is God's name. And there's no example in the Bible, in the New Testament Bible, where a minister called himself reverend. They called themselves apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. For that is the ministries given by Jesus after he arose, those are the ministries he gave to the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and verse 12. In the first of his epistles, Paul almost always identified his calling. And he said, Paul, an apostle called by God. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. He identified himself as an apostle and teacher. Peter identified himself as an apostle and elder. Those are the proper names. You should never call a minister reverend. I would never go to a church where the minister allowed himself to be called reverend. The young man from the Philippines told me that they love to be called reverend, that those ministers just eat that up, that they really like it. In 1980, when I went on radio, a woman came to me and said, What do we call you, reverend? That's the first time in my life the subject had ever come up. And I said, Oh, no. Don't call me Reverend. Call me Joan. That's what they call the Apostle Paul is Paul. Call me Joan. I was horrified at the idea of being called Reverend. But they love it. This is one of the idols in today's churches. Men who allow themselves to be called 
Reverend. This young Philippine man got up in front of his church and gave the message that I had given on that we should not be called Reverend. And they almost stoned him. He said they were furious with him. They demanded that he leave the church. They demanded that he move out of the housing which he and his wife and son lived in, which was owned by the church. He was very upset. I told him, do like Paul did. Just go get you a secular job and support your wife and child. Then I didn't hear any more from him for about three years. I think he didn't do that. If he had done that, I think he would have been communicating with me, but he didn't. Three years or so passed, and I got another email from him. He told me that an earthquake had come and destroyed all their houses, and he wanted me to send him money. I didn't answer his email. I think he's like this example. They receive the word with gladness, but the persecutions are going to come for the word's sake. Then what? There was a period of time in 1982 that God told me the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. I didn't have any idea what God was talking about. A, a little, a few days after that, he began calling to my attention sin in the big-time ministries. I tried to get a message to them telling of this sin, but I couldn't get a letter past their censors, the people they hire to sift through their mail and throw away unpleasant things. And I identified myself as a prophet of God, but I still couldn't get a message through. In one case, the case of Jim Baker, I got a letter back that was supposedly signed by Jim Baker. It looked like it was signed by Jim Baker, but the letter, <laughs> okay, the ministry that I work under is Jesus Ministries. At the top of our letterhead, it has Jesus Ministries. Then I would write and sign my name, Joan. I got a letter back that was supposedly from Jim Baker, and it said, Dear Jesus, thank you for your inspiring message. And Jesus, I want you to know that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today. Signed, Jim Baker. Well, it's hilarious and sad at the same time. That was in 1982. The scandals about Jim Baker did not surface until about 1988. At that time, not only was he taken to prison for committing fraud with his theme park and promising housing once a year to everyone who gave to the theme park, and he didn't have enough rooms to provide the housing, and that is called fraud. So he had to go to prison for a short time. 
But another thing which was disclosed at that same time is he was having sex with a church secretary who was named Jessica Hahn. She went on from there to have pictures in Playboy magazine. Awful, awful, awful. The message that God had me send Jim Baker was a message warning him about adultery. Jimmy Swigert was another one that I had a message for. Jimmy Swigert had an ad agency at one point in time, and I had the same agency a little bit later for a short length of time. Michael Ellison Advertising Agency. My agent told me that Jimmy Swigert had once been with him and had come to them because he wanted larger crowds at his meetings. So he came to Michael Ellison Advertising Agency and enrolled as a client. They told him to get bigger crowds, what you need to do is cut back on the preaching and do more music. He was a country-western type music performer. I think he probably played piano and sang, but he was an entertainer. So cut back on the preaching and entertain the people, and you'll get bigger crowds. This is what Swigert did, and he did get bigger crowds. They increased about threefold over what they had been. So he got what he wanted. The message I delivered to Swigert was, cut back on the entertaining and preach to the people. I couldn't get either of these messages to the ministers. So I just went on radio. I was on radio from coast to coast at that time and told what happened. I told of their sin. I told the message that I had tried to get to them. Then they got the message, at least Swigert did. He owned two of the radio stations that I was on, and immediately they threw me off the radio. He was the owner of the stations in Dallas and Houston. So I knew he got the message. In one case, and that was about Kenneth Copeland, I delivered the message in a one of my public meetings. I used to go into each city where I was on radio and had meetings for the radio audience. And Copeland was from Fort Worth. I lived in Dallas. I went to Fort Worth to have a meeting. And at the meeting, I presented the message that I wanted to present to the people. And then I told them, at this point, I invite you to leave the room because I'm going to say some things that you will not like. These were Copeland's followers. I knew they were Copeland's followers. No one left the room. They stayed for this part of the message. And I told them, Kenneth Copeland recently allowed them to take up a birthday offering to send him and his wife on a birthday vacation to Hawaii. This is wrong. How can you give a tax-deductible offering 
to send a minister on a vacation. I don't think the IRS would approve this, and I know God doesn't. The message did reach Kenneth Copeland. I had ample evidence that it reached Kenneth Copeland. I had a message for my own pastor, who was Robert Tilton. And that message is, you killed a prophet. What Bob did is, he had a prophet at the church named Ava Pickard. He invited her to be on his television show. Just before they went on camera, Bob said, Oh, just one thing, Ava. Don't mention anything about being a prophet because it is not popular. Ava called me after the television show crying and told me what had happened. I told Bob, because you did this, killing a prophet, your house will be left unto you desolate. Matthew 23. I was brought out of that church group by God through a dream showing me that these were dead people in that church and that and I came out. A few years later ABC Primetime News did an expose about Robert Tilton and I caught up with the years between 1982 when I delivered this message to Bob and 1991, which is when I think the expose was on it. You can find that out if you wish to do so by going to Robert Tilton on Wikipedia. Anyway, They, of course, didn't know about killing the prophet, as I had told him. But what happened to Tilton in those subsequent years after I delivered the message to Tilton? He and Marty divorced. His wife divorced. He married a second wife who was said to have been an evangelist. She divorced and tried to sue him to get property from him. The third wife is a woman he met, I think, in Florida. But this was his third marriage. It's adultery to have even divorced from Marty and remarried. That's adultery, according to Jesus, in Mark chapter 10. It turned out that his whole church basically blew up in his face. Some of his church members began suing Bob, claiming he was extorting money from them, promising a hundredfold return on their offerings, and it didn't happen. He was also asking people to send prayer requests, as most of those ministers do. They do it as a fundraising gimmick, my own ad agency tried to get me to do it, and I said, no, I won't do that. And they said, well, you're missing a good bet for when 
you tell them to send their prayer request, they will usually put some money into the envelope. So you're losing money by not doing that. And I said, I won't do it. It's a fundraising gimmick. Bob was doing it, and he was getting, this is incredible, but by Wikipedia's report, Bob was getting $10 million a year. No, excuse me, $80 million a year when he was at his height in 1991, before their expose. But what they did is they traced all of these fundraising envelopes and found they were being forwarded from Farmers Branch, Texas, which is just outside Dallas, to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma. People at the bank were opening the envelopes with the prayer request, throwing the prayer request into the garbage, and depositing the money into a bank account for Tilton's church. Tilton never even saw the prayer request. I know, as a legitimate minister, there is no way I could pray for you. How can I pray for you? I have to know the will of God for your life. If I received hundreds of prayer requests, there's no way you can deal with hundreds of prayer requests. It's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man who availeth much. To be effectual, it has to be by the rules of God, which is... If you pray according to the will of God, you have the thing you've asked. 1 John chapter 5 says that. Well, there's no way I'm going to know the will of God for hundreds of people. All the different possibilities? That's impossible. You're supposed to pray. You don't pray through going through a minister. You pray going through Jesus Christ, directly to God. And another part of that is effectual fervent. Fervent means red hot. How can I have a red hot prayer for you when I don't even know you? This is just not possible. It's all wrong. It's all corrupt. It's all done for the purpose of getting money from their church members. So I gave these messages on my radio broadcast or in public or in Bob's case. I knew him personally very well. And so I sent it to him by cassette tape, but he got the tape. I ask one of his office workers and she told me oh yes he listened to the tape she said that he and marty his wife and the office staff came in and listened to the message i recorded and then bob took scissors and cut the tape in little pieces and they sort of quoted scripture over it to negate the message well the message wasn't negated All I wanted to know is, did he hear the message? And he did hear the message. You can't destroy a message from God. 
You could cut it in little pieces and burn it and quote scripture over it day and night. But when there's a message that says your house is going to be destroyed because of this sin you did, and if that message is from God, your house is going to be destroyed. It ended up that that whole church was dissolved. The church building was torn down. It was going to be used by the city of Farmer's Branch for a I, for some kind of youth uh, sports team. I think it was finally taken over by a professional hockey team in Dallas and a youth hockey center was set up. There is no sign, to my knowledge, of that church ever having met at that location or there ever having been a church at that location. It is completely destroyed. The last report about Robert Tilton is that he tried to start a ministry in Florida, and then he sold his ministry or something and moved to Culver City, California, and bought a hotel. And the reporting, the person making the report tried to go to a church service, but it was only about six people that met in one conference room at the hotel that Tilton owned. And when they found out he was a reporter, they escorted him out of the room and wouldn't let him back in. That's what it evolved to. His whole house, in every way, was destroyed for killing a prophet. That was in 1982. By the time 1991 got there, this had all happened. Well, I don't know it all happened, but most of it had happened. There is a judgment of God. We have a judgment sometimes on this earth of things happening. Well, Swaggart, for example, who was committing sex with a prostitute, got caught the first time, and he came on his television show, I have sinned against you, with tears rolling down his face. About three years later, he was caught with another prostitute, and his statement at that time was, the Lord said it's flat out none of your business what I do. Well, if you're in the church, it's everybody's business what you do. For we are members of the body of Christ if we're in the church. You have a right to know what I'm doing. I can't have a private life and a personal life. I mean, a church life. I can't have two lives. You're going to be caught if you try it, and go to hell. Even worse than being caught. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ and told to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 5, I think that's 5. We must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ where we receive for those things we have done in our body, whether good or bad. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Concerning being turned over to a reprobate mind, Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. You can start out on the road with God, and along the way, 
Here are these great temptations for fame, for money, or just a matter of something silly, like preferring television and thinking the Bible is no longer interesting, no longer interesting. I had one of our church groups tell me that, that she had gotten to the point, she was with us 39 years, and she told me she just found when she tried to read the Bible or read our blog, she wanted to rush through it and get to something more interesting. And I know her great love was television. Because when I tried to talk with her by phone and I tried to share things from the Bible, she just went stone cold dead. But if I shared something from a television show, she jumped in on the conversation and began talking about the show and talking about the actors and actresses and how exciting the plot was. I think she was swept away by television, her love for television, for one thing. But then also she would not allow herself to be corrected, to have godly correction brought into her life. And she finally got removed. In this passage of scripture in Romans 1, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, that means unmovable, uncorrectable unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same things, but have pleasure in them that do them. I know church members secretly have pleasure in certain television things that I turn off. I can't stand it when I see adultery and fornication coming up on the television program. Sometimes you don't know ahead of time that it's coming, but it surfaces. I turn it off. I can't stand looking at this. I just hate it. I hate the things that are the sins spoken of by God. I don't hate the people. I hate the sins that they are committing. But I'm not going to associate with people who are doing these things, the homosexuals, the lesbians, I won't knowingly associate with them. I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? I'm not doing it. Choices. The choices we make and calling out to God for help when we know we're being tempted. 
and holding on to Scripture and doing the thing that's right in the sight of God, in the sight of God. But to give up those things, you won't endure. If you compromise, you won't endure. If you go along with the world, you will not endure. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But we who are born again, we know the things of God. I think we have a terrible fate if we turn from the things of God. So we have to work to endure. We fight the good fight, uh, good fight of faith. We hold on to the scriptures. We turn to God in prayer. Help me. Help me in the times when when we are beginning to feel dead and we don't want to read the Bible, every one of us go through times like that. That's when we stop what we're doing and we turn to God, help me. And he always gives me something. I've been in these temptations many times. When I have asked God for help, he always gives me a spark which rekindles the fire of the love for things of God, the Word of God, the ministries of God, all of these things. After I turn to God and ask for help, it is a continual battle. As long as you live on this earth, you will have to battle for the faith, to have faith in God, to care for the Scriptures, to overcome the world through your love for things of God. For every one of us go through these things. I certainly do. Even to this point in time of being 82, I still have to battle to keep my love for the Bible flaming. So I know each of us have to do that. This is Joan Boney speaking. All of the scriptures that I've spoken will be printed on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. The right-hand side of the blog, it says podcast. Click on that. It'll take you to the podcast. You can see every scripture that I have spoken today. Once again, the blog name is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Thank you for letting me speak with you today.